Welcome to another Friday edition of the Rutgers Scout Cast, a Rutgers football and athletics podcast on the Scout Network and finally on iTunes, wherever books are sold. So please uh, take the time if you get the chance to subscribe, rate five stars, and uh, enjoy this podcast in a more convenient way. But uh, Brian, welcome back to the show. Scout National Recruiting Analyst joins us this Friday. Thanks. And knowing it's not wherever books are sold, what would you know about reading? Well, I mean, I went to Rutgers, which so that meant going to the bookstore once a semester to try and sell things for food and drink money. That was about it. Things you mean books. You weren't like one of the former players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is true. I uh, I was a journalism major, so not too many books. I certainly don't know about sell- selling any other kinds of things when I went to Rutgers. Brian, it was an exciting week for Rutgers. Good segue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of former players, they have some new players coming in, and we'll talk about that in the body of the show. A lot of momentum coming out of June. I think that you're kind of going into a calm now with vacations starting up for the staff, but it was a pretty good June for Rutgers, and it was a pretty good June for Scout. Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at it, this is what's supposed to happen. You look across the country, and kids are starting to commit before coaches go on vacation in July. And for Rutgers, it wasn't just taking kids for the sake of taking them. These are kids that they identified for a while that they really liked. And, I mean, it was a big June. If you look at some of the commitments that they've received, I don't think anybody could have imagined that it would go this well. And it's not just getting kids like Tyshawn Fogg in the fold or you get Shameen Jones or, you know, you find some kids like the Hayek kid from Wayne Hills. You, you find him at a camp. You decide to move on him. I think it's one of those deals where it's, you know, they made good evaluations, ones that they feel comfortable in. Are all the kids going to be good players? No. It's just not the way it works. But they're comfortable with the evaluations, and you've brought in a lot of good kids into the program. You and I disagree a little bit in terms of how many of these kids will actually sign with Rutgers. I think I'm a little more pessimistic than you are about keeping the entire... Which is stunning. Yeah, uh, Mr. Optimism, Brian Doan. But either way, you have to give Rutgers credit. This is a borderline top 20 class right now. Uh, What impresses me just as much is that you look at the kids that Rutgers has lost, and there aren't many of them. Now, there's a lot of kids that Rutgers wouldn't Rutgers offered, but probably wouldn't have taken their commitments, and that's one thing. But off the top of my head, I can only think of maybe two or three kids that Rutgers legitimately wanted that went elsewhere this early in the process. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is not not only if the kids go elsewhere, do they have difficulties telling the coaches, or is it difficult for them to... I remember Angelo Manjuro, when he chose Penn State over Rutgers, told me the toughest part of it was calling Greg Schiano to say he wasn't going there. And that tells you you have a good relationship with a kid. This should only be the beginning. And, and I know you talk about, will they lose some kids? I mean, shoot, Alabama loses kids, Ohio State loses right. kids. Right, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, this isn't five years ago when kids committed and stayed. It's part of the business of kids flipping. But I don't get the sense that any of these kids committed because they were forced to commit. I get the sense that these kids committed because it was the right time to commit. The staff was diligent. The staff continues to be diligent. Tell you what, if, if you have not read what Tyshawn Fogg has to say about how this staff recruits, I suggest reading it because 
it is absolutely tremendous. It gives you insight into how things are being done and how hard Coach Chris Ash is working. All right, folks, welcome into the Rutgers ScoutCast. We have a special guest this week in Brandon Huffman. He's the National Director of Recruiting for Scout.com. He's in charge of a lot of us. He's out in Seattle by way of Oxnard, California. Welcome, Brandon. <laughs> by way of Ventura, California. That's, that's not oh, that clear. Right. You, I, uh, you've, I been ruined. you've been ruined by zone. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately for both of us, we uh, we got to know each other from uh, connection with Brian Doan. Whether that's good or not, uh, I think both of us are leaning towards not good. But uh, not, right not now, <laughs> yeah, and it's especially not good for you now when you're getting all these email alerts about how Rutgers is doing in recruiting. But for Rutgers fans, it's been a pretty insane week out in Piscataway. Yeah, and I got to think that that's kind of what they were, were hoping. I don't know that you necessarily expect that from a coach in his first year, in his first six months on the job, but you always kind of have that hope that when a new coach comes in and a coach who's got a good reputation for evaluating, a good reputation for identifying talent, and then does a good job of recruiting, you always kind of hope that he can carry that momentum. And I think that Rutgers fans are, are certainly seeing what Chris Ash is able to do, and really just more importantly, how big the buy-in is becoming in the state of New Jersey in terms of the prospects that they're targeting in the state. You you see some kids out in New Jersey, whether it's Jabril Peppers or Rashawn Gary, and those are guys that Rutgers had no chance at getting in the past, but when you look at the momentum they have in 2017 – now you start to think maybe they can get the number one, number two kids, and they have the number one kid in New Jersey right now in Micah Clark. Is this kind of momentum that Rutgers has, is that something that you can see paying off for them down the road? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the big key is going to be you have to win. And not only do you have to win, you have to put guys into the NFL because really those become two of the most significant factors in a school when they're trying to recruit. If you can win, if you can put guys at the next level, you're going to become that much more attractive to the recruits that you're targeting. They want to win, and they want to have a chance to play professionally when their college days are done. So if you're doing one of the two, that helps. If you're doing both, that really helps. And I think if you look at some of the schools in states where their top players seem to make an exodus out the door when it comes to February, they don't want to stay in state. And, and those are the programs that tend to scuffle because if you can't keep your own backyard covered, you're going to have a hard time recruiting nationally, and then you don't want to lose those same players in-state to in-conference rivals. So for him to come in and to keep those guys in-state, obviously there was, there was not enough time for Rashawn Gary to even really make a case. But, but with, with a guy like Gary and the Peppers, yeah, you're going to lose those guys. You know what? In Georgia, in Florida, in California, and in Texas, the in-state schools lose the top players in-state yearly. The thing is, you've got to be able to get that next tier of guys. you got to get the majority of the next available guys to stay in-state. And I think if you're going to strike out on a Peppers and Gary, that's fine. That's going to happen. I mean, yes, you want to keep them in-state, but it's those guys after them that you really have to focus on keeping them close to home. And if you can do that, you're going to sustain recruiting in-state, and you're going to sustain that momentum for a long time. You and I were talking before I hit the record button, and you've seen commitment sprees from schools all the time, Washington, Tennessee. There's schools that will get five or six guys in a two-day span, and it doesn't mean that they all stay committed. 
I think the big challenge for Rutgers now is you have 19, 20 kids in the class. How do you keep them all committed going into signing day if you aren't able to win games this year? Well, I think there's a couple things at play. One is you got to stay on those guys no matter what. I think there becomes a lull with, with coaches in general. When they get a kid committed, they almost feel like, okay, I got that kid under the, you know, under my belt. Now I can go focus on the next group. And then nowadays in 2016, recruiting is so much differently. These kids need to quote unquote feel the love. They need to feel like they're being recruited. And so just because you have a kid's commitment doesn't mean you can't keep recruiting him. You have to keep recruiting him so he feels the love. Second thing is you got to really hammer home the point with his recruits that guys, this isn't going to get turned around immediately. We need you to buy in. This is going to be, and when you say long-term plan, it's long-term with regards to college football, which means two to three years rather than the old days where you used to get a five-year plan. But you got to really emphasize that, hey, we may not be able to get this thing right immediately, but because of players like you, we're going to be that much closer to doing it. So if you don't have the successful season that you hope in that first year, you're at least getting the point home saying, we're just a couple pieces of the puzzle away. You are one of those pieces, so stick with us. Stay with us. I know these other programs are trying to do their best to say, hey, we're winning, come join us, but we are building something special here, and we just need you to get here and get on campus to start contributing early so we can get to that special point. Now, one of the, the probably frustrating parts of your job is having to deal with guys like Brian Doan a lot of the time. Um, I'm sure that you've heard plenty from Brian about the train wreck that Rutgers has been the last few years. Are you surprised at all at how quickly that that's turned around with Chris Ash, or is it something that you've seen before? I mean, James Franklin comes to mind with the sanctions at Penn State and how quickly he turned things. Is it a surprise at how quickly Rutgers has turned? It's not, and I think part of that's because you saw uh, previously what they could do, and Greg Shonda was the coach there. You saw what Rutgers was capable of doing, and you know, getting guys like an Anthony Davis to stay in state. I mean, that's what Rutgers needs to do, and it's been done before. And I think you, know, you, you look at states uh, that they have good talent, they maybe have good top end talent, but the depth just isn't there. Maybe that's because of, of a population, or maybe it's because. High school football just isn't key in that region. Maybe it's high school basketball that's the alpha dog. But you look at some of these states where, where maybe they just need to keep a couple key guys in state. You maybe need to land a couple guys at the, the high school in your state that's continuing to churn out top prospects. And you can actually get to a rebuild program, process much quicker. And I think, you know, you look at schools that traditionally have been strong and maybe hit a lull. Those are the ones that are easier, easier to build. You look at what, what, Greg Meyer, what uh, Jim Harbaugh did at Michigan, what you know Urban Meyer did at Ohio State. I mean, it wasn't like Ohio State was terrible. They had one down year uh, after Jim Trestles let go, but then you get a coach in who can really get the most out of that talent, and Ohio State's winning the national championship playing for one. Jim Harbaugh has a 10-1 season. So it's easy to do those at the bigger at the bigger schools, but when you have a school that maybe doesn't have a long-term history, doesn't have a ton of in-state talent, it, can, it still can be done if you key on the right guys. But more importantly, it's not just about recruiting. It's about player development. It's about getting the most out of that talent that you've inherited. And I think Rutgers has shown 10, 12 years ago that it can be done. And I think with Ash having been a part of the Meyer program and, and been a part of that renaissance at Ohio State and helping him win a national championship – I think it's going to become that much easier to be done. 
Just a couple more quick questions for you, Brandon. You were recently quoted in USA Today in a story about the Rutgers rebuild, talking about how Rutgers hired Rick Mance, who is a longtime New Jersey coach at the high school level. Rutgers brings him in, and the relationships are now starting to be prepared. And I don't want to give Rick Mance all the credit because I think Chris Ash is number one in fixing that. But do you think that creative hires like that are a good way to kickstart it when Rutgers is struggling? I 1,000% believe that's what it is because typically what happens when you have a program that – I don't want to say Rutgers was a train wreck, although you, you, you hinted at that earlier. When you have a program that's somewhat of a train wreck or you have – and that's not just Rutgers. It's not exclusive to Rutgers. That's a lot of programs across the country that have had it. You know, what they need to do is – Go back and get into their local roots. Go back into those local schools. And usually the last kind of bastion of hope for a program is, well, at least the local kids are going to still come here. You may strike out on national recruiting. You may strike out on more of the bigger regional recruiting, but you at least can always count on the local kids coming there. Well, once you stop getting the local kids, then that means there's a major problem in the program. So what do you have to do to remedy that? Well, you make creative hires. You bring in a coach who's got ties to the local high school programs, to the in-state programs, that knows which schools are the ones that you really need to key on, that they know which high school coaches you have to treat a certain way and you have to talk to a certain way to really uh, identify with them. And I think what would also is key is when you, when you have a coach who maybe isn't an alum or doesn't have strong ties to the school or strong ties to the region, you bring in someone who does have strong ties to the school or strong ties to the region. And you see that a lot with some of these schools that will hire maybe an ex-NFL coach. They These guys know football. There's no question they know X's and O's, but they don't really know their recruiting game or they don't really know which schools are the ones you got to recruit. So they'll bring in somebody who's got those local ties and say, hey, where do I need to be? What's the first school I need to go recruit at? What's the first school that I need to have my face seen at? And when you hire coaches like that that have that ties, who maybe after 20, 25 years, they're getting kind of tired and bored with the high school game, and they're looking for that next challenge, and they're rejuvenated. And now you've got a rejuvenated high school coach with all these great ties who's in a position that a lot of these high school coaches aspire to be in, and now you kind of have the perfect marriage, and it benefits the high schools, but it also benefits the university. With events like the opening coming up with Rutgers Prospects, make sure that you – Follow Brandon Huffman on Twitter, at Brandon Huffman, and feel free to ask him anything you want about what it's like to work with someone like Brian Doan. They've known each other for a long time, and I'm sure that Brandon has nice things to say. Brandon, I ask the same quick Rutgers-related questions at the end of every interview. You've covered a little bit of Rutgers. You and I covered the uh, Washington State game out at the Seattle Seahawks field a couple years ago together. Who yep. Who is your favorite Rutgers athlete? If you look at guys at Rutgers, is there anyone that comes to mind as your favorite? You know, I, I gosh, that's a good question. I, I did like Anthony Davis. I'm always a I'm a line guy at heart. I was a tight end, but we were I was a blocking tight end in the Veer offense. So I'm always a, a sucker for a big guy. Was a big fan of his. Obviously, he had a, a great college career. Was a big time high school prospect. Uh, you know, I was a five star. I, I believe coming out with the 2007 class. And just one of those guys you always kind of remember because that was the year he was in the Army Bowl. That was the first year that I was uh, one of the, the regional managers for scouts. So you kind of always remember those guys early on in your career. 
especially as they make it to the next level. And it also ages you a bit. So he's just the guy that I always kind of remembered and enjoyed watching. And uh, last question, it might relate to your last answer, but if you think Rutgers athletics, what's a memory that comes to mind, whether it's a game you watched or a player or a fun story? It's standing everywhere with Brian Doan in the middle of some kind of game. I remember we were covering a game, gosh, 10 years ago. It's one that Doan brings up a lot. It was Notre Dame-UCLA, the final <laughs> minute of the game. Notre Dame scores a touchdown with about 15 seconds left. And here's Doan, the beat writer for UCLA. And I'm asking, hey, did you just see that play? And Doan was so focused on his phone covering a game. So I, I think it was a couple months later where they had that memorable Thursday night football game where ESPN showed the time lapse of the field just being covered after the, the winning field goal in the final second. And so I kind of always remember that 2006 season because of Doan not paying attention to the game he was covering because he was watching. And this is before the watch ESPN days. He's watching the game cast on his phone, and then a few months later seeing the excitement of Rutgers fans when they won that game on that Thursday night. I think it was against Louisville. Uh, yeah. But I'm, I'm aging myself a bit. But if I remember right, it was against Louisville. It's still going to win. And ESPN at Sports Center that night showed the time lapse of the fans covering the field after the kick and saying, hey, man, okay, I, I get it now. Now I see why Don was so excited about this program. Well, 10 years later, and the only difference is that now Doan doesn't pay attention to what he's covering to watch soccer. Exactly. Oh, man, there's been plenty of those days, too. All right, Brandon. Hey, I appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Before we get into the news, I want to take a quick minute to veer off course and talk about this week's uh, Chris Ash Charity Golf Tournament at the Fiddler's Elbow Country Club in Bedminster, New Jersey. Whether it's Greg Shiano or Kyle Flood or now Chris Ash, this charity golf event has always been pretty impressive to me. This is my fifth year covering it, and it really never fails to disappoint in terms of the kinds of people that turn out to support Rutgers and support these charities, as well as have a fun outing with the coaching staff and kind of a casual environment with some really delightful brick oven pizza available. So shout out to uh, Fiddler's Elbow for helping out on that one. Rutgers raised right around $100,000 at this event, and that's pretty impressive. But when you're raffling off things like tickets to Hamilton, you better be making money off of that. The uh, The money splits between four ways, three separate charities that everyone at Rutgers is familiar with. And interestingly, 25000 of this money, according to Pat Morris, who's uh, the event organizer, he told me that's going right back into the Rutgers Build Fund. And you know what? Rutgers needs a lot of money to get this done, so I think that that's something that anyone that donated can feel good about. But the reason I'm talking about this is because we also got to speak with Coach Chris Ash at this event, and I just want to pull out two quick comments from Chris Ash that really stood out to me. I asked Chris Ash about the camp season, and he did everything except name the commitments in terms of breaking down how significant this June was. And uh, Tom Canavan from the Associated Press asked Chris Ash, well, he asked him, have you gotten done everything you wanted to get done? And Chris Ash's answer was classic. 
how valuable has camp season been for you? Just you know, recruiting aspect and building relationships. Uh, camps are everything in recruiting. You get an opportunity, even if a kid's been committed, they come to your camp, you get a chance to work with them and hopefully give them some tools to help themselves go out and have a great senior year. Uh, for guys that uh, we still need to evaluate, gives us a chance to, to watch them evaluate. Uh, so camps have been uh, extremely beneficial this, this June for us in our program. Uh, it's helped us make some decisions on some guys. It's helped us feel really good about some of the guys that were committed. And it's helped us uh, promote the game of football here in, in, in this region. And um, I, I've been happy and very pleased with uh, the camps, the numbers of guys we've gotten, the quality of kids that came, and the, uh, what we're able to do with them. Have you gotten everything done you wanted to get done? Uh, we haven't won any games yet, so we haven't gotten that done. Uh, but we, we, we have done a lot in, uh, what is it now, just about six months that we've been here. Um, we've been swinging really hard to uh, get the program foundation set the way we wanted it, establish the culture that we wanted, um, recruit the way we wanted. And, um, I, you know, I get asked all the time how it's going. It's really going according to plan, the, the plan that we had coming uh, into Rutgers. And um, you know, so far, that, that plan is you know, working. Um, but again, we, we got a lot of work still ahead of us. Uh, we got a season coming. Uh, there's going to be a lot of challenges that we'll face uh, when that comes. And, uh, but we're excited for those challenges, and we'll just keep looking forward to getting better every day. Anything else, guys? Great, guys. Thank you, guys. Right, as we jump into the news this week, Brian, a little bit different recruiting spotlight. I think we'll mostly be talking about four-star Calvert Hall linebacker Tyshawn Fox commitment, but it was a momentous week for Rutgers with a lot of kids coming in. I think that uh, with Shameen Jones, the wide receiver from Cardinal Hayes committing, I'm interested in what you think of him because it's a guy that you didn't get a chance to evaluate early in the process because he wasn't really on the radar, but now that you've gotten to see him in person, you've gotten to watch his film, what do you think of this wide receiver commitment for Rutgers? I think he has a very good ceiling. I think there's some things I want him to work on as far as just the speed that he plays at all the time. But when he's going hard, he can get in and out of breaks well, good length. He locates the ball pretty well. Um, like I said, I want to see him finish out some plays where maybe he doesn't all the time. Big frame, athletic. I think strength will not be an issue. I think he could probably come in next fall and be physically ready to play. It's a matter of picking up the offense, the needs, and you well, you know and I know they need receivers, they need running backs, they need everything. But, you know, at the skill positions, they are in bad shape, which is why you're taking so many on the offensive side. I, I, but I do think he's a kid that really has a chance to blossom. He has strong hands good frame. He, he does do a lot of things well. Patting myself and you on the back here, we said last Friday on the podcast, you guys heard it, Rutgers is telling kids, we've got three receivers, we want two more. Well, guess what? They got two more, so unless something crazy happens, I think that Rutgers is pretty much full at wide receiver right now, and I like the versatility. It's not five possession guys it's not five small fast guys it's a little bit of everything you mentioned Rutgers needing help at receiver they need help at the x the y the z the l the p the q exactly the entire alphabet they need help uh if you want to donate cans of alphabet soup for this offense they would appreciate it but i like still make that oh yeah it's great it's right next to spaghettios 
you look at this offense as Brian fiddles with his car charger. They have versatility. They have Bo Melton's speed. They have a, a possession guy in Everett Wormley. They have a tall red zone target in Hayek. I, I love that Rutgers went into this and said, here's our biggest needs. Let's address them. They did that with Tyshawn Fogg and C.J. Anechi at linebacker, and they've also done that at wide receiver with five versatile options. Yeah, they've done it with versatile options, and they're done at receiver unless Evidence Njoku decides he wants to climb aboard, and that's where they're going to use him as as a receiver. They will make special room for him, even though I think he can be a tight end, maybe a linebacker. But other than that, they will be done. And the, the beautiful part of it is they told Eddie Lewis... Shameen Jones and Tyler Hayek, we got two spots left. Whoever takes them first is coming. We see who took them first. Now, clearly, if they thought one of the three stood above the others, they would have changed it up a little bit. But that's where it stands, and it's a good job of understanding the recruiting climate, of understanding what is going on with their targets and where they sit with certain guys. And Tyler Hayek and Shameen Jones and Eddie Lewis were not going to go other places and get offers. These are the offers they're going to have until September, you would think. Yeah, you know, until you have those first four game film. Right, or or you get out and, and maybe a scrimmage or something, something gets out there. Or, you know, one of those odd July camps or whatever. The plan in place, it's nice to see. It's nice to see a plan and then you execute the plan where it's not just haphazard recruiting. At wide receiver, I like talking to Shameen and talking to Tyler with their commitments. Tyler Hayek was, he was like, oh, I want to get some more offers. I'm having fun with this process now. And then his coaches sat him down and said, what are you doing? They have two spots. Take one. And he said, you know what? That's a good point. And so then he committed. And Shameen, he was ready to commit two weeks ago, but his parents just had never seen the place. So it was a matter of coming down and letting his parents sign off. Whereas Eddie Lewis camped at Rutgers multiple times. I credit him for coming to compete when he didn't have to because he already had an offer. But Eddie Lewis spent the end of June as a all-star USA football representative in China, and he's going to be coming back looking at Syracuse and Boston College in Indiana to try and find an option because Rutgers is full. Yeah, and, and that's okay because, if, like I said, if Rutgers really wanted him badly, they would have held on and they would have waited, and they weren't comfortable doing that. But you mentioned the different styles of receiver you have. Bo Melton, speed guy slash kind of slot guy. Everett Wormley is a little bit bigger. Tyler Hayek, red zone guy. Can stretch the field a little bit. Um, I think he's more a possession guy. Maybe he turns into a tight end when he gets bigger. Shameen Jones is a kid who can, he can really play in a couple different areas. So to me, it makes complete sense if that's the way you go with it. And Tim Barrow is a guy that can play receiver or cornerback depending on what your needs are so again some versatility in the class is big when I look at Tyshawn Fogg's commitment look obviously he's a good player I think that it's a perfect example of how different things are right now compared to a year or two years ago this is the same story that Rutgers experienced with Dwayne Haskins but with a different result Dwayne Haskins grew up Rutgers, grew up in Piscataway, had friends and family visited New Jersey all the time, and then he moved to Maryland, and he still had an affinity to New Jersey, so he would come back and check out Rutgers, but we all saw how that ended. At the end of the day, he couldn't convince himself that Rutgers was a realistic option, as much as 
people wanted him, and even people in his family thought, eh, this could be a good place for you. Now with Kyle Flood as the coach. Exactly. That's my point, is now that things have changed, Tyshawn Fogg grew up in Asbury Park, followed Rutgers, was real, real excited when the Rutgers offer came because it meant a chance to return home. He spends every other weekend in New Jersey, which gave him plenty of opportunities to visit Rutgers. And at the end of the day, this kid that's been in Maryland playing football Calvert Hall was convinced that he could return home and get something done in New Jersey. That's a Obviously, Tyshawn Fogg and Dwayne Haskins are different people personality-wise, but when you take a kid, take him out of New Jersey, and now you're able to convince him to come back, a lot of people leave New Jersey and they're done. So I think that uh, convincing Tyshawn Fogg to come back for the next three, four, five years is a, really a sign of change. You could take kids out of Jersey, but sometimes you can't take the Jersey out of kids. Thanks, Bruce. You like that? Like yeah. that? Nah, look, I think if Chris Ash was the coach and Dwayne Haskins was going through the process, they'd have a legitimate chance to get him. Um, I don't know if he's a type of personality that would fit with Chris Ash, but <laughs> I, I know that Tyshawn Fogg is a defensive guy. Chris Ash is a defensive guy. They're both tough people. And they're both smart people. Fogg is an outstanding student. I mean, he's an Ivy League caliber student. He just wanted a place that felt like home. He was looking for reasons to go to Rutgers, and he found reasons to go to Rutgers. In the past few years, there were kids looking for reasons to go to Rutgers, and they found reasons not to go to Rutgers. And we've covered this before, and I am still amazed. Um, you know me, Sam. I don't get very much wrong in life. You know, you've, you've mentioned that a lot to me. Um, but I really underestimated the damage that was done by Kyle Flood, just in the sense of even when kids in this class had said, yes, I want to go to Rutgers, their parents were leery about it because of all the just craziness and not to mention criminality that went on under Kyle Flood that they had to get to campus and meet Chris Ash and listen to Chris Ash talk about his direction of the program. And I think that was a big thing for a lot of these kids. I mean, I know that was huge for CJ Onyechi. He was all for it, but his parents needed to get on board with it. And so what you're seeing is Ash is that guy who can close, who can make everything okay, who has the believability. Look, it's going to be a rough season. And everybody's saying, well, what's going to happen when Rutgers goes 4-8 and eight and they're losing by 40 to Ohio State? Well, if you have the relationships, you're going to keep the kids because those kids are going to be the ones that make sure that doesn't happen in the future. And I think for the most part, you have those relationships. Will there be one or two that may look around? Yeah, probably. I mean, you could do that. You can go 11-0 and 0 and, or 12-0 and 0 and people are going to look around. But I, I think what you're seeing now is a believability and a plan in place that has kids feeling good about the direction of the program. And it's not just a haphazard commitment that is on a whim and they're feeling good about it at the moment so they commit. It was really easy to bash Rutgers in the past. It's not as easy right now. Now, the on-field results, we'll see how they counter them. We'll see what happens with those on-field results. But for the first time in a while, they have a, a true pro as the head coach who should be able to handle that. And I'm comfortable knowing him like just like DJ Durkin in Maryland, James Franklin at Penn State, Dino Babers at Syracuse. They'll have 
a plan in place to counter that negative recruitment? I mean, you don't think people negatively recruited, recruited against Penn State with all those sanctions and everything, and it didn't hurt them for a few years. It's all relationships, and it's all on how you sell your program to that kid to make him believe that that's how the program takes off with him in it. Quickly touching on Jonathan Lovett, who committed to Rutgers Monday. By the way, this is, I think, the fourth time in five years that Rutgers has gotten a commitment during the charity golf tournament. So no wonder Chris Ash wanted to keep that event going. I look at Jonathan Lovett, and of all the number two running backs in the class, not number two in terms of talent, I mean in terms of people committed with Jonathan Taylor already there, I think of all the options on the table, Lovett was the right pick, the right guy to grab. I love Devin Darrington transferring to the Bullis School. Uh, Elijah Barnwell hasn't really progressed, and I'm not sure how hard Rutgers was really on him during spring evaluation. Well, how many times did he visit campus? I think once. There you go. Yeah, Jonathan Lovett, as soon as you and I, Brian, we saw him at Fairleigh Dickinson, realized who he was, and I think that just kind of clicked real quick quickly like oh okay this this kid's for real he looks a lot better physically than the last time I saw him right now he's about 6'1 190 perfect perfect fit for what Rutgers wants to do offensively just go get him just like you said body type athleticism where he can play on the field very similar to Jordan Thomas the kid from a few years ago who ended up transferring to Delaware Jordan just admittedly didn't have it to be a, a he didn't want to be a 1A football player he, he wanted to you know, it just wasn't in him. Um, it was it was fun for him. It wasn't a job. Right, correct. And and Lovett has the same body type. Look, he'll come in as a running back. I like him as a running back. I would not be surprised if one day he's a safety or even an outside linebacker. But I think that only happens if it doesn't go well at running back. I, I think he has a chance to be really good. The commitment spree continued for Rutgers. Just talking about these last two kids of that Exciting period for Rutgers. Olakunle Fatu Kasi, Grand Street campus linebacker in New York. And out of Eastern PA, you've got Joan Duggan, the defensive lineman that camped twice at Rutgers before Rutgers moved on him and picked up a commitment. Rutgers really was the two positions they needed more help at over the last couple of weeks were linebacker and defensive line, and they got it. Yeah, they did need it at both of those. You're right, because they're especially at linebacker. You look inside this program, and there's oh, very little there. Um, you start with Fadakazi out of Grand Street in Brooklyn, and it's good to see Rutgers having that relationship with Coach Bruce Eugene. I know he's a personal favorite of yours dealing with him in recruiting. Well, it's like he said uh, the other day, you read it on the site, you get 11 Fatukasis and you're winning a national championship. Might be a stretch, but he's a college football quarterback. He knows the game. <laughs> Fadakazi or Bruce Eugene? <laughs> I mean, I understood where he was going with it. He's very supportive of his kids, but he's a but Fadakazi is a kid that can play inside, he can play outside, and don't forget in this defense now, it's not what you're used to where the will is going to be running around crazy. That's not how it looks like it's going to be structured. At least that's not how it was in the spring. Maybe some of your smaller guys are inside even, but he brings versatility. It's what you want. You don't know, you know, whether Tyshawn Fogg is going to be in the middle or outside. You don't know where CJ and Yechi will be. But Fadakazi is a guy that, in all honesty, can play different spots, plays downhill, is physical, just needs to get a little bit bigger and stronger. And then you look at a guy like Duggan who, look, schools knew about him because Darian Street, a receiver at Bethlehem Liberty, is going to pit. He's committed there. His brother plays in the NFL, so it's not like it's a secret. But schools came in and they 
checked on him, and either they didn't like him. I mean, his his junior film isn't great. I, I know I mentioned this on the site, but when I talked to people about how he developed on the camp circuit, he was a lot better than he was as a junior. Athletic, big, his academics improved. And I give Rutgers credit because they brought him into camp. They loved him a ton, but they didn't offer him. So a couple weeks go by, they bring him back again, and he works out for them the same weekend as a 7-on-7 inside the bubble where not a lot of people can see. Does a great job there. They offer him. They figure, hey, academics are set. A few days later, the kid commits. The only school recruiting him was Rutgers, so it made sense for him to commit, but it just tells you the due diligence that the staff is doing. They're not just offering a kid off of one performance and saying that's good when they can get the kid back for a second. I think that speaks a lot, and like you said, it's a position of need. You need guys in the middle of your D-line, and you need linebacker help, and so everybody loves the skilled guys, and can you be a game-breaker or a corner who can lock somebody down, but hey, man, you better win in the trenches and inside that box. And you think that Rutgers probably got better with those two. It's the same story as Tyler Hayek and Shameen Jones. They don't get their offers until the second time that they camp in front of the coaching staff. And you know Rutgers is excited about getting both of them in the fold as well. We've already talked plenty about them on the podcast. You hear the birds chirping, and Varys's birds are telling me that Rutgers is – pretty good at linebacker right now and they can be selective they can still go for Marquise Bell and still go for Lewis Osias but they don't have to necessarily worry about the position anymore defensive line however there's still some pretty big voids to fill well look when you're talking about Osias and Bell I think those are next level players when you're comparing to next level grades well not really but but in some of the one of those instances that you know yeah, it's nice to get Yechi Farkazi. Tyson Fog could be a difference maker. But Marquise Bell is an elite athlete. Louis Asias is an elite athlete who, look, he's 5'11". I don't care. You can say six foot, whatever. That kid's 5'11". But I've seen him play in person a few times. I've seen him camp a few times. He could be a hybrid safety linebacker, do a lot of coverage stuff. You take both of them, and then you worry about your scholarship situation later on. But to be in a position where if you don't get both of them, it's not the end of the world. I mean, that's one of the big things that I noticed with this staff is, you know, while they're waiting for these other kids to decide, they've gone out and gotten commitments from really good players. So if Marquise Bell doesn't go to Rutgers, they're not then sitting there trying to flip C.J. Onyechi from Boston College, or they're not trying to flip um, Olakunle Fadakazi from Boston College or Syracuse, they got him already. And I think that's the big difference. Instead of waiting for the big kids before you fill out your class or forcing the big kids to commit to fill out your class, you're being patient and you're seeing it played from both sides. Recruiting in the end of a cycle or heading into a season is always easier for a staff when it's trying to figure out how to make the numbers work and trying to figure out when you're going to get your first 2018 commit instead of trying to figure out how to fill out a class. Welcome to this week's Rutgers ScoutCast mailbag segment where we take on and off-topic questions. The on-topic question this week was a bit of a historical question. I believe it came from someone named Brian, so you have to like that. The question was... I'm uh, sure it'll be great, too. I'm sure it will. The, the question, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was, of all the Rutgers games you've seen, what's the most impressive 
performance by an individual on the other team against Rutgers that you remember? Oh, jeez, how much time we have yeah. on this podcast? Now, I have one if you need time Yeah, to yeah, go ahead, because you get to screen these questions. Yeah, I have more time to think about it. I, I can't. I still can't get over what Teddy Bridgewater did against Rutgers in what was essentially a battle for a spot in the Sugar Bowl. Playing hurt, down by three scores, and the way he rallied that team back. I know that you can argue that Rutgers collapsed in that game, which it did, but the way that Teddy Bridgewater played... Uh, I can't say enough about it. It was very impressive. Well, I'm going to pick a game that's very similar to meaning as that one, but go back a few years, and you go back to the Rutgers-West Virginia game in 2006, the Uh, triple overtime game down at Jason Baum Field in Mountaineer land, where, you know... You know, Tom Lucci once fell down the steps at that stadium in the mud. Great place. Um, Great memories. Yes, and... I'm going to go to Jared Brown, the quarterback for West Virginia, who was a backup. and Not James Townsend? Correct. And if I remember, Brown didn't have sensational numbers. He was probably about 14 to 28, 14 to 29, somewhere around there. Probably about 250 yards or so. I think he threw a pick in that game. He did, but he also had a big touchdown throw. And he also ran for about 75 yards, and he had a score. And that was for an Orange Bowl berth. Right. And Rutgers was playing very well. They were the toast of the town in college football, per se. And to be able to go there as a backup against a really good defensive team, if you remember what they did to Louisville in the second half that season, just how well they played defensively, um, that was really impressive. Going off topic, I think that I'm being, I was being baited by this question from John. The question is, what's your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, jeez. Are you kidding me? Can I just answer for you? That's ridiculous. Go ahead. Well, my favorite kind of pizza is... is... anything bought at Lido, but go ahead. Yeah, it is Lido pizza. It's a semi-chain that was born in College Park, Maryland. There's no such thing as a semi-chain. Of course there are. Oh, boy. Have you heard of Charlie Brown's semi-chain? Oh, boy. Where my wife and I went on our first date, by the way. All I'll say is that Lido Pizza doesn't cut corners, and neither do I. What's your answer, Brian? Oh, very good, very good. You know what? I am going to go a little bit off the beaten path, considering, you know, Sam, I think I've mentioned to you I lived in L.A. California Pizza Kitchen? No. I also lived in Connecticut for a few years, in West Haven. Sally's and Pepe's. Take your pick, whichever one you want. For me, I was a Pepe's guy. I really enjoyed it. You want to talk about cutting your pizza, it, there's, it's just, it's like Picasso did it. It's so abstract, but good place, good atmosphere, so yeah, I, that's where I like. So, we really won over the Rutgers fans today by neither of us picking New Jersey pizza with this question. You're welcome. Thanks everyone for listening to another edition of the Rutgers Scout Cast. As I mentioned during the open of the show, I'll remind you now as we close out This is now available in iTunes and on Stitcher. Just search Rutgers, and it should be the first thing that pops up. If you are streaming this through Scarlet Report, instead of on iTunes or Stitcher, I ask you to take a minute to go ahead and find it, and please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the podcast. It's the best way to grow the audience and to bring in more fans to the Scarlet Report 
community. If you are listening on iTunes or Stitcher, thank you very much. Make sure you are subscribed, leave a review, a comment, and as always, you can contact me at Sam Hellman Scout on Twitter or on the ScarletReport.com premium message boards. Once again, this has been the Rutgers Scoutcast. Thanks for listening.